today is joy. We're talking about joy. Um, and I hope you're choosing joy this Christmas. God wants you to have joy. God wants you to rejoice. Joy should be a dominant trait in the life of a believer, without a doubt. It's mentioned in Galatians as a fruit of the Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, joy should just be a part of you. It is actually a command. I want to read a verse to you here um, out of Philippians. We're going to have to read a few verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, it's on the screen. But it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. That basically can also be read as have joy in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's a command. And then it says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if you look at some of the words in that passage, uh, rejoice, reasonableness, moderation, gentleness, thanksgiving, peace. So, So like, is that you today? Is that you this Christmas season? I hope it is. Um, here's the reality for a lot of us, it isn't. And actually the word that kind of sticks out in that passage I just read is anxious or anxiety or stress or depression. So in this Advent series, we've been tackling some pretty hard topics. And our goal was to tackle those hard topics um, and to dive into some of the areas where maybe historically the church has avoided. Um, but, but another goal of ours was to take the, the, those, those uh, subjects of Advent, so hope, peace, joy, love. We, wanted to, we want you to see those as they need to be seen in all of their beauty, right? Because they should be a part of our lives. So... An illustration that maybe would make this make sense is that for those of us who've ever bought a diamond uh, for our ladies or for whoever, when you go to buy a diamond, what they'll do is they'll take a black velvet or black sheet, and then they'll place the diamonds on top of the black, and that's to make the diamond pop, right? So the diamonds in this advent are the hope, peace, and joy, and love, and what we're doing as your pastors is we're just kind of putting that black velvet down, showing you some of the darker sides of this so that maybe some of these things will pop in your life like they haven't popped. So as we look at joy, um, for us to really understand the depth and complexity of joy, um, we need to look at the reality of sadness and depression and anxiety. We're going to start by saying this, depression is a real thing. Um, It affects many people. Depression is not designated to a socioeconomic group. Like money doesn't protect you from depression and sadness. The church is not immune to this either. Um, God's people have never been immune to this. I'm going to give you some examples here later um, in Scripture uh, of, of men in the Bible who, who went through this. Um, here's what I would say, and this is probably arguable, 
you, you could probably argue this with me. I get it. It's probably more of an opinion, okay? But I'm not so sure that believers aren't more susceptible to depression and sadness. And I, and I believe I can go to Scripture and back that up. In Ezekiel, I mean, it talks about when we become believers, and God says this, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. He says, I will remove a heart of stone and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. So what I think happens is there should be things that affect us and sadden us and hurt us that did not use to sadden us and hurt us before we knew Jesus. Does that make sense? So I'm not so sure that believers aren't even a little bit more susceptible to this. Okay? Um, but when it does come, there's, there is a bit of a spectrum. Okay, now listen, I'll say this more than once a day, bro. I'm not a doctor. Okay? Um, I'm not going to diagnose anyone here. Um, I'm asking for grace as we dive into this. There is a bit of a spectrum. So on one end, you have this person. We know this person, right? It's the person that's just not happy unless they're unhappy, right? This guy comes in a room and, like, totally sucks the joy out of every room he ever walks into, right? He, and in reality, this, this is probably the guy that just needs to suck it up a little bit, right? Just toughen up, thicken up, okay? But, but, but what it, the way he copes is that he needs some attention, and the way he gets his attention is he gets people to feel sorry for him. Like, this is the guy that they make safe spaces on universities for. Like, dive into those, get your deal done, come back out and be with all the rest of us. Um, and the reality is, um, it's not really depression. Um, it's miserable, I'll give you that. Um, and it's joyless, but it's not really depression. So you have this person. And then on the whole other and you have a person that is really in desperate need of some help, and it's real. Um, like, they need to go see a medical doctor quickly. And they're experiencing things on a level that most of us in a room cannot understand. Like, that is a reality. And believers or non-believers, either one, are not immune to that. Okay? So we want to dive into... This thing called depression, because you have this extreme over here where the guy, it's, he just kind of needs to get over some things, and you have some serious problem over here, and you have all that space in between. And we as a church, we as leadership, we want to dive into that. So first thing we got we to gotta just get out there. Depression is real. Okay, and as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to recognize that. Um, we don't need to blow it off as something that's not a big deal. And we cannot respond to it overarching with, well, if you just read your Bible and pray more, you'd be all right. Okay, and I think the church has been a little bit guilty of that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Reading your Bible and praying is essential. Okay, but we cannot take this overarching theme and say, yeah, just read your Bible and pray more, you'll, be, you'll get things right. Hey, that's not true. Many of God's people struggled with depression. I'll give you some biblical examples, and I'm going to give you some uh, more modern examples. David in the Bible, who wrote Psalms. You can read about David all over the Old Testament. Job, Elijah, some biblical examples. Here's some more modern-day examples. I had a picture of him when I spoke 
a few weeks ago, Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, he will be quoted a trillion times a day across the country by pastors. Charles Spurgeon struggled with depression. C.S. Lewis, another guy who will be quoted over and over, all over churches this morning, struggled with depression. And I don't think we would respond to Charles Spurgeon and say, well, buddy, if you just get in the Word more and pray more, you'd, that'd be taken care of. Okay, the guy was like a hermeneutical ninja, so we just can't respond that way. So depression is real. We're going to start there and recognize that it's real. Now give me grace when I say this. Hurt and pain are in our lives for a reason. God has never lost control. He will never lose control. God is not shocked and God is not a God of accidents. So know that this morning. Depression is real and hurt and pain is in our lives for a reason. Now, there's a Bible word I'm going to throw at you here. And I want you to understand this because it's going to help us when we, when, we, when we are joyless, when we're dealing with depression. There's a word I want you to think about. And that word is sanctification. Okay, sanctification. So sanctification literally means to be set apart. Um, so here's what happens. When you become a believer and you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are justified. Like you are declared just. Like Jesus looks at you. God looks at you and says it is just as if you've never sinned in your life. That happens at conversion. Okay. Also at that time you become sanctified, meaning set apart, meaning God takes you. He chose you to use you for his mission. But there's another type of sanctification we have to talk about. And that sanctification is this progressive work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes in, okay? And then you have entered what's called a sanctification process. And it's the progressive work of the Holy Spirit in you that is causing you moment by moment to look more and more like Jesus. Sanctification. Being molded into the image of Jesus. So I'm going to give you an example. Hopefully this will help some of you. Maybe it won't. Um, anybody, everybody familiar with the statue of David? Yeah? Yeah, so um, I'm not cultured. Let's just get that out there. Okay? Um, David, the statue of David, a uh, masterpiece from the Renaissance time. It was created like in 1500 by Michelangelo. Look, Michelangelo is a ninja turtle in my house. Right? That's, I'm not cultured. But I have seen the statue of David, like, with my own eyes. I've seen it. Um, whatever. I mean, I've seen it. I'd rather see a game at Fenway Park. i just got to be honest with you. It was cool, but it, it was crazy. I, I actually I took pictures. I should not tell you this. So I took pictures, and I showed my wife, and she's like, are you a pastor or are you a middle school kid? Like, I know I shouldn't have told you that, but I'm just not cultured. I'll try to be more cultured, okay? Here's why I bring that up. So Michelangelo gets this huge chunk of marble, right? It's just a huge chunk of marble. And as he, as he went to form this image of David, he did not walk up and start to form this image of David with a sequence of gentle breezes. 
right? He didn't walk up and be gentle with that marble. He chiseled and he hammered and he cracked to make that piece of marble into the image of the statue of David. As we dive into this thing called depression, as we dive into this thing called sadness and even um, these things in our lives that cause us to, to lack joy, we cannot do it without recognizing that we are in a sanctification process and that God is chiseling and he's cracking and he's doing it to make us into the image of his son. Okay, so whatever you're going through like today in this moment, if you are a child of God, God is using this season of hurt to mold you and make you into the image. And I would say this, don't waste that hurt. What I mean by that is don't fail to recognize what God is trying to do in this sanctification process because it's real. Okay? I would even say it's plausible that you never look more like Jesus than when you are suffering. And the reality is in this room there are people suffering. It's real. Okay? So here's what I want to do. I want to give you some practical examples of why you might, why people might be depressed or lack joy or be sad. So I'm going to read these off and then we'll go through and we'll unpack these, okay? So number one, something could be out of balance. It could be physiological. Number two, a loss in life, loved one, job, relationship. Number three, it could be that you're ignoring reality. Number four, it could be past events that bring guilt and shame and weigh you down. Number five could be selfishness. Number six, it could just be unhealthy living. Number seven, you could be spiritually starving. Now, these are just practical, practical examples. We want to unpack these. Um, I would say out of, for six out of seven of these, at the root, is that in six out of seven of these, you are choosing to believe a lie. And we could take our sadness, we could take our lack of joy, we could take our depression and go to the root, and it is at the root of this, I am choosing to believe a lie. So really we have to change our thinking. There was a coach one time, he'd say, who thinks your thoughts? You think your thoughts. There's one of his players right there. Amen. Amen. You think your thoughts. So as Christians, we've got to adjust our thinking. So we're going to unpack that a little bit. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, count it all joy. Another way to word that is consider it all joy. That means it's your choice. You have to count it joy. You have to consider it joy. That is your choice. That is your thoughts. To count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we're going to die, which I'll tell you this, so I'm excited. In the new year, we are going to go through the book of Philippians, and I'm pumped about that. And that's going to be, a, I mean, you guys should be excited about that too. Philippians, is a, it's a great book on joy. And it's as much about right thinking as it is about joy. We're going to read some verses out of Philippians that talks about, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And it gives you this great list of things. It says, think on these things. So let's unpack the first one, which doesn't necessarily, I believe, 
has it, has it, I don't believe that this one is rooted necessarily in wrong thinking, okay? I'm not a doctor, I'm going to tell you that up front, okay? Here's what I want to tell you. It is my opinion. Again, I try not to give very many opinions. It is my opinion that we are over-medicated as a society, okay? Now, I am not going to stand up here and teach against antidepressants. And the reason I'm not going to do that is I don't think the Bible does. Okay, here's what I mean by that. I don't know if you guys know these verses in the Bible. You can go to Psalms 104, and it talks about giving someone wine to gladden the heart of man. Later on, in or Proverbs 31 is written, give wine to those with a heavy heart. So my point being, there was, there was this, there's this idea of the Bible of giving people with heavy hearts or people who were not glad something to help them. Okay, so in my studies, it's my understanding that it is a reality that there can be a deficiency in chemicals. If there are doctors out here, feel free to correct me. Um, come up to me afterwards, tell me I'm an idiot, whatever. Um, I read as much as I could, but it's my understanding that there's a reality that there's a deficiency of chemicals, and I'm going to try to pronounce these correctly, serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine, and the deficiency in those chemicals can lead to depression. So the question is, should Christians take antidepressants? And here's my answer to you. Sometimes you should, and sometimes you shouldn't. I think this is a meat issue. Now, we don't have time to unpack the passage on meat. If you want to know what that means, come talk to me afterwards. But sometimes, yes, and sometimes, no. Here's what I'm going to give you some practical advice to take into consideration. This is, again, I'm not a doctor. Okay, I want you to take this into consideration if this is you. So number one, take into, take into consideration your sanctification process. And ask this, are you trying to numb something that God doesn't want you to numb? Because as a society, we are quick to run and numb. Number two, this seems practical. Okay, When you go to a doctor and you hear, hey, there's a chemical imbalance... I think it would seem logical to ask the question to your doctor, what chemical and how far out of balance, as opposed to just, just give me something. Okay? I do believe that the Holy Spirit is in us to guide us and teach us and counsel us, and I believe it is true when this comes to our health. Our medical decisions need to be guided by the Holy Spirit, and that's between you and God. Now, here's the deal. We do not look at someone, okay, that maybe has diabetes, has too much glucose in the blood, and tell him, hey, won't you just pray more? Won't you get in your Bible more? And that'll, that'll get fixed. That's unreasonable. So we don't need to do that to people who have the real issue of a chemical imbalance. Okay? So, now, the next six, I think, are very relatable and rooted, can be rooted in some wrong thinking. Number one, or number two, loss of life. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost 
a spouse, maybe you lost a parent, maybe you lost a baby, maybe you've lost a job, maybe you've lost a relationship. I know these are hard. It's horrible. Um, God does know what he is doing. And I want to tell you this. It is okay to ask why. Okay, now, to the person who is sitting with the hurting, my advice to you is do not try to answer that question. You'll get yourself in trouble. It's okay to ask why, but the reality is no one in here has a grip to answer the why. Just say, I don't know, but I love you, or something to that effect. Okay, we get ourselves in trouble when we try to answer why. Okay, but the question is, will you choose to trust God and believe what is true? So here's some lies that we believe. I can't live the life God wanted me to live without filling the blank. Whatever it is you lost, whoever it is you lost. But I could never find healing. God should not have allowed this. Those are all lies that we can choose to believe. And in our loss, we need to choose to believe the truth that God is good. And I know that's hard, okay? Psalms 119.68 says, You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Later in chapter 145, The Lord is good to all. We can go to the New Testament. So if you're choosing to believe those lies, I, I can't do this, I can't do that. God doesn't know what he's doing. I don't know how I'm going to carry on. I, I understand that. So there's a verse in the Bible that probably gets misused as much as any verse in the Bible. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. So I tried to find the context of this, and never could I find where Paul was, like, getting ready to play a football game, right? Or try to bench press 400 pounds. But he wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a guy who was in jail, not in a great place. And in the context, he was saying, look, it stinks, but I've learned to handle it when it stinks, and I've learned to handle it when it doesn't stink, and I can handle this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Choose to believe what is true. Choose joy. Number three, ignoring reality. So here's a question to some of you guys. Are there emotions such as anger, fear, sadness that you have ignored rather than taking time to honestly work through with God and with others. And here's a lie that you might be believing. These are no big deal. No one really cares. Time will heal because time heals all. That's, those are lies. Ephesians 4.26 says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And some of you went to bed for 10, 15, 20 years on your anger and you're stressed and you have anxiety and you're depressed and you think that time will heal and that's a lie. One pervasive lie is that time heals everything. Time can definitely help some circumstances. Allowing our emotions to recede, releasing rational pressure, giving us perspective, but time by itself heals nothing. So think of like a wound. 
right? If we just have a gaping wound on our body, we don't just put some Kleenexes on it and say, time will heal this, right? We clean it out. We put medicine on it. We might get some stitches. And when we do those things, then time, with time, those will be healed. So it's the same thing with some of our emotions. Some of us need to clean out some anger. Some of us need to clean out some fear. And some of us need to choose to believe what is true. Some of us need to choose joy. Another reason for maybe depression or just lack of joy could be past events that bring guilt and shame and weigh you down. And the reality is you have not forgiven yourself. The reality is you're carrying a weight that you were never built to carry. And the reality is your past is paralyzing you. And you're stressed and you're anxious and you're depressed and you lack joy. And here's the lies we choose to believe. God could never really forgive me for that. If anyone knew, like what I looked at on my computer, like if God, no, there's no, 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 I can't. So you believe this lie that you haven't paid enough for what you did back in high school or back in college or back on some business trips that you went on. You believe you haven't paid for that enough. So what happens is you put yourself like in this sort of like self-inflicted purgatory. Like you're going to self-punish. And it's a lie. And when you believe these lies, they take you to a very dark place. And the reality is there are a lot of believers who are living without joy and even living in depression because of their past. I have a lot of verses on the screen for you because I want to make sure that you get the truth here. I want to make sure you choose to believe truth this morning. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's what God says. So when you choose to condemn yourself, you're saying, I know more than God. Micah 7.19, he will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and I will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. That's what God does to your sins. Have you done those to your sins? 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. If they're passed away, why do you keep them alive? Psalms 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Then why are you still holding them so closely and allowing them to steal your joy? Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. 
So there are weights that we're carrying that are not sin. Our past is a weight. And we're holding those. And Hebrews says, lay those aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set where? Before us. Anyone that's ever ran any kind of race knows you cannot effectively run when you're looking backwards. That's what many of you are doing, and it's causing you stress, and it's causing you anxiety, and it's causing you to be depressed because you're trying to run a race, and you're looking back because you're believing a lie. Philippians 3.13, another verse out of Philippians. And this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Okay, do you know what those things are? That Paul is talking about? Like he murdered Christians. That was his past. And he wasn't holding on to him. Like he didn't believe the lie of, oh, God could never really forgive me. Like I murdered his kids. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before me. Many of you. I've got to bury the past, and in doing so, you will choose joy. You will choose to believe the truth. Fifth is selfishness. That can be a reason for a lack of joy. Philippians tells us about that. Um, if you are the center of your universe, and your happiness and comfort is the most important thing, you are going to be a miserable human being. Eventually. Now, most Christians don't really struggle with that, do they? One way this might manifest itself, and I won't hang on—I won't hang here too long—but one way this manifests itself is in our family life. Many of us are selfish with our family life. Now, I know we're in the Midwest. Midwest family values are like second to the, well, I'll, I'll quit. Here's a lie that we choose to believe. Family comes first. When you decided to follow Jesus, when God chose you, family no longer comes first. Jesus comes first. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. My family comes first in a certain list of things. Okay, my family comes first before you guys. Okay, my family comes first before the school that they go to. My family comes first when it comes uh, to this church. My family does come first before a lot of things. But it does not come first above Christ and what he would have for my family. And that can scare some of us. But we can live our whole lives making family our idol. And we get to the end and, our, and we're like empty. Man, it's like, man, we did everything we thought we should do for our family. And you could be empty. Families do matter. But we have to believe the truth that God has your family here for his purposes and his glory. So don't be selfish 
individually. Don't be selfish with your family. Number six, some of us are lack joy and are even on the brink of depression because the reality is we're just physically unhealthy. Like we're physical beings. The reality is like, and, I, and I'm going to try to be a little bit, I don't know, and say some things in jest here, but not really. Like you feel bad, you have no energy. The reality is some of us need to eat vegetables, right? We need to quit drinking a bunch of soda. We need to work out, try to walk a little bit, try to run a little bit, join a gym. I know that sounds super simple, but it's very practical. When you feel bad day in and day out, week after week, month after month, that wears on you. And it's real. Number seven, some of us lack joy, and some of us are depressed because we're spiritually starving. For some of you have absolutely no Bible in your life. Your prayer life is non-existent. And like if you are only being fed on Sunday mornings in this hotel room, hotel space, um, you're starving. And God wants more for you. And you're spiritually starving. No Bible, no prayer. Some of you have unconfessed sin in your life. So the lie we choose to believe is, yeah, I can be in a healthy relationship without any dialogue. Does that make any sense whatsoever? For the married people in here, you're telling me your marriage can be healthy with you never talk to your wife and you never listen to your wife. So why do we think our relationship with God can be healthy when we never talk to him and we never listen to him by reading what he says? And it leads a believer to only one spot in life, that is to be anxious, to be stressed, to be fearful, and to be depressed. Another lie I choose to believe is I can get through that. Like, I know I've got this sin in my life. I can get through it. Like, if no one knows about it, I can sweep this under a rug, move on. I'll never do that again, but I just need to. No one needs to know about this. And that's a lie. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And you're believing this lie that you can heal without confessing sin. You're not believing the truth of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And that's even tied back to number four, where you don't think you've paid enough for your sins. And that's real. And the reality is what you're doing is you're looking at the cross and saying, I know, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for the cross, but that just wasn't quite enough for this sin. And that's a lie. So for many of us, these examples I gave you, they resonate. And, and, and while many of us may not be like depressed, right, clinically depressed, there are many of us who are lacking joy right now. 
So we dive into, this is Advent, right? Which Advent means the, arri the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. For us, yes, we, we celebrate this arrival of Jesus. But for many of us, we're in this season of Advent where you're waiting on some other things. Some of you are waiting arrival of relief, like you are longing for God to take pain away. It's there, it's real, and you want it. Some of you are waiting for healing. You want to be forgiven. Maybe you want to forgive, and you just haven't found a way to do that yet. Some of you are waiting to be called mommy and daddy. Some of you are waiting for a spouse to say, I love you and I will never leave you because you haven't heard it in five years, 10 years, 15 years. Some of you are waiting for a child to follow the Lord. Like every single one of those examples I just gave you are real in this room right now. Every single one of them. And you're waiting on those things. And I want to encourage you this morning. Like, I know you're waiting for God to do those things, but while you're waiting for God, can you take joy in knowing that you are also waiting with God? Like, he's there. He knows. It's not that you're just waiting for him. You're waiting with him. And he's made all things beautiful in his time, and I can't explain the why in that right now. I just want you to know that I do understand. I do want to try to understand the hurt. And I do want you to know the truth that God is there. So as we receive communion, I want us to find some joy in this truth. I'm going to read a passage out of 1 Peter. John actually had read it in his Advent on joy, but I want to reread it. It says, but rejoice or have joy insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I don't know exactly what you're going through. I don't know how it feels. I don't understand your suffering. But Jesus does because he was there. And can we have joy in that this morning? Let's pray. God, we want to have joy. God, may we, in our lack of joy, God, in our anxiety, in our fear, may we turn to you. May the gospel of Jesus Christ become bigger and more real than it ever has. In Jesus' name I pray.